You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to episode 112. And uh, what we were just saying, it was like pretty early on we had a, a Meet the Listeners episode. Uh, I think, Fran, you said it was episode 18? I think it was episode 18. I could and, be completely um, wrong. So now it's almost 100 episodes later, and we said, you know what, we should probably kick this back and see, uh, well, our, our listenership is, has quadrupled since then. Yeah, I was, you know, a lot. It, it's changed, you know, because our, our listeners are a community, um, and that community has really changed since mm-hmm. episode 18 because the Facebook group, I think, was new. Mm-hmm. We didn't – that didn't start with episode one, and we didn't have any listeners, obviously, episode one. But um, it, it's gotten way larger, and there's been turnover. Like any other community, there were people that were really active early on that we don't really – hear from like darren started his own podcast Mm -hmm. and is really active there we don't really get to interact with him as much and and there's a lot of people that kind of came in just after that and become big part of the community since then Mm -hmm. um and we thought hey you know it'd be a really good idea to bring some of these people together and do this again and what i've found is when we have these conversations even in the facebook group offline i learn a ton because i'm going through as a home gardener a lot of the same things that our listeners are going through and they give me really good advice and we know how to grow it in a nursery but we don't always know how to grow it in our home garden it, so it it took me a long time to realize that I just needed to shut up and that <laughs> I didn't need to <laughs> I didn't need to comment all the time like I've learned a lot by actually stepping back and just kind of giving my advice when it's needed and I love the community I'm just proud of this community. There's so many online native plant communities that aren't nice, that aren't kind, that aren't welcoming. And I feel that we have such a a kind community that's mm-hmm. really thoughtful of everyone else and inclusive. And I'm I'm really proud to to be a part of that. Yeah. So today we're joined by three of our, our listeners who I think have all been listening for a fairly long time too. Um, but they tend to be some of the most active in our Facebook group, our Native Plants Healthy Plant Facebook group. We are joined by Alyssa Lewis, Skip Burns, and uh, Deborah Rosenthal. And so. and I believe you. this may be the first time you said three names that you got them all right. They had uh, fairly easy last names. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought maybe it would be a good idea to start with Skip. Skip was actually the only person here today that was part of that first Meet the Listener. Um, and that's going back – Probably almost two years ago uh, that we did that first episode. So our technology has gotten better, um, and a lot of things has changed. So, Skip, thank you so much for being a part of this. This was all just so everyone knows. This was all last minute. We we just got this together probably two days ago, and everyone was so kind to be able to to put this together with us. But, um, Skip, what's what's changed? What's 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 happened since we first had you on here? There's got to be a lot. Well, yeah, it's it's been about two years, and uh, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for having me on again. No problem. Uh, your your caliber of guest is so high that it's like a little starstruck to be on here now. But uh, yeah, so so I think back then it kind of goes goes back to what you said. Like I had a lot of like kind of propositional, 
information in my head, like things work this way and like these are the new plants I'm putting in. And like, I kind of wanted to share a lot of the information with people, but now I'm kind of learning to step back and kind of listen more. And I'm just seeing like what the plants do and like what's happy and what's, what's thriving, what's, what's not doing so well, what's working, what's not. And uh, also now, uh, shortly after the podcast last time, my son was born. So that's right. Oh yeah. He's going to be too soon. And my daughter's going to be five. So it's, I'm kind of working on all the same projects with less time than ever. So I'm learning curve. So and, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, and then there's all the kind of inroads I've been making with uh, getting involved, like in the community, actually out in the real world. Because, you know, Facebook is fine for first talking to other people, but then you kind of want to get your hands dirty and, and see, see things actually change. So. Well, I, I do want to say, since you mentioned at the beginning, I, I and I know Tom, I speak for the both of us. Our listeners are the stars of, of this of this podcast. So we couldn't do it without all of you. And many of our guests are listeners, um, mm-hmm. which which is fantastic. So you belong you all belong in this venue with us. So we appreciate that. I'm I'm curious, Skip, over two years, how far into at the time that you were on the first time, like how far into changing your property were you um, with more natives? Was it was it more towards the beginning or had you been working on it for a little bit at that point? Uh, I think I had been about working on it like two two or three years. Okay. But I've been doing it kind of through a lot of seed and a lot of small plants. So like I feel like I was just planting and planting and planting and like it really wasn't making like any difference, you know, because the plants are so small and immature. But uh, yeah, it's really it's really changing a lot now. How how has your approach changed, especially now that you have children old enough that that can interact with that property too? Have you are you still taking the same approaches, or if, is it more like uh, lessons learned? Where hey, I tried this, it didn't work. I'm gonna I've, I've heard a few better things. I'm gonna try these things, or or do a little bit less and and try to do this. Yeah. Um, well, as far as as my kids, I've learned to put an edging because they just don't see the boundary. <laughs> don't see the boundary between the lawn and, and everything else. And they'll just go walking right through, you know, put high perennials like they're not even there. Um, yeah, and I like to see how they just kind of interact and look at the plants and the flowers. My daughter loves picking the flowers, which, you know, that takes a little bit of uh, patience to step back and just let her let her do that. You know, because I'm like, oh, I want that to go to seed, but <laughs> you know, that's the point is to, to let them interact with that, though. Awesome. Um, and, and Skip, you mentioned that you have gotten more involved in the community, and we know internally, we know one way that you got involved. Why don't you tell um, the the everyone else who's listening how you've gotten involved in some different like nonprofit type stuff? Yeah. So, so first, I got involved with the county parks. Because that's obviously a huge uh, resource, just like for native plants, like they're all there growing. And, and I enjoy hiking there and taking my kids there. And, and my wife got into hiking during the pandemic. So we were always going out. And uh, I wanted to, like, I think you guys have mentioned on the podcast how important it is to get people out into these places and appreciating them. So um, I looked at the volunteer opportunities they had, and there wasn't really anything related to, like, native plant 
gardening or, or anything like that at that time. But I got involved in the trails team, which, you know, is involved in constructing new trails and maintaining them and that kind of stuff. And I only went out like, you know, three, four times so far, but I just got to meet the people that were like the volunteer coordinators and the people that were like how they were managing things and like who was making decisions. And, uh, you know, I just, they were all a bunch of great people. So, um, so that's, that's how I got started. And then I started looking at their programming and I noticed that there was more native plant stuff coming online. So I went to a couple of those and I got to meet uh, one of the naturalists there that was doing that. That's Jason Goldman. And he put in a really nice uh, pollinator garden at Huber Woods. So, um, you know, then eventually I ended up joining this other group, Wild Ones, Mm -hmm. which had just started like a seedling chapter. It's like a national nonprofit for uh, native plant landscaping. Yeah, and that's, uh, Um, if I don't mind if I cut in, Wild Ones is pretty popular across the rest of the country, a lot of other places in the country, but it hadn't been in New Jersey until fairly recently. Yeah, and Deborah, you're a member of Wild Ones also, correct? Yeah, Wild Ones is awesome. I've learned a ton of information from them. They are definitely a go-to source for me. Yeah, awesome. yeah, we have a fantastic uh, native plant society, but Wild Ones had some different appeals as, as well. So I was interested to see that that popped up and that you got involved with that. That was very cool. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off too much. <laughs> no, no, and, and I'm actually I'm actually in the uh, Native Plant Society as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got a chapter for our county this year. Mm-hmm. But cool. um, yeah, when that Wild Ones thing came up, I was like, you know, why not join that too? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so the the founder of that chapter, um, Josh, she sent me an app, the application for Xerces Society. Mm-hmm. So that's when I kind of, we started thinking about like, where can we plant one of these pollinator kits? And uh, then I, obviously I thought back to the, the county parks and I contacted the volunteer, volunteers coordinator and then she contacted the naturalist for my area because it's just more convenient for me to work in, in this part of the county instead of driving an hour or two to the other side. And uh, at, his name was Paul Mandela. He's been fantastic in, in uh, getting the, the parks coordinated and, and using a little bit of his staff and then getting some volunteers from the park. And then I got the Native Plant Society involved. So they put out a notice for volunteers. And uh, it was it ended up being a great turnout to plant this kit the other day. Awesome. awesome. I, I Like the A-team, I love it when a plan comes together. I mean, that's what... I mean, the Xerce Society, we kind of knew this was coming down the pipeline, and they were really excited to give these kits. So I th- think they gave 60 kits away, and they had way more applications than they had kits. And I think last year they were able to do 35. This year they were able to do 60, and it's performed so well. Mm-hmm. They're looking at it on a national uh, – that other parts of the country they may be able to do this in. So it's mm-hmm. it's been a wonderful program, but it's – you know, it, it's wonderful – how all those steps, you know, from your property to getting involved with parks to all these wonderful organizations that that make a difference. And and you mentioned uh, Jason Goldman, who does fantastic work uh, for Monmouth County Parks. It's just, I just love hearing all that connectivity. And and as you said too, like it is important. Like one of the things, and and we keep talking about it. Tom and I are have a new talk that we're giving this fall. And one of the last things that we focus on is um, you have to remember to enjoy it. Like you're doing it, you need to be a part of it. You need to enjoy it and have fun with it. Um, otherwise, it kind of, you know, takes away. So you're kind of doing all of that, which is which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So kudos, yeah. that's awesome, Skip. 
I wanted to go back. Oh, I'm sorry. I just forgot what you. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I, I was going to say something that something you said something that reminded me of something, and then I just lost it. I'm sorry. I it happens to me all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and it's on. It's recorded when it happens a lot. That's, so. No, Deborah, you post a lot in our Facebook group. Although wait. it's been, Fran did say it's been less as of late. Wait, can I? Oh yeah, we go ha- ahead. We have to say happy birthday. You want to sing to Deborah? You want to sing no. happy birthday? <laughs> no? All right. I won't do that to you. Oh, right. I have tried so hard to get nobody to wish me a happy birthday. Keep it below the radar screen. But that Facebook gets you every time. And, Fran, you are the only sister, the only friends I have on Facebook. And you had to go and blow my secret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to let it go, you know. Overlooked, so we we I definitely went to it. happy birthday, and especially you're doing this on your birthday. So mm-hmm. thank you for for doing that. I can't think of a better way to spend a birthday. Than I wanted to sing a happy birthday. And I'm like, is the copyright <laughs> off on happy birthday now? Can you? I didn't want to yeah, have to pay no royalties. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, the the official birthday was yesterday, so you're spared the birthday song because uh, I think there's a rule that you're not allowed to sing it unless there, it's on the actual day. There, there's no mm-hmm. rules on this podcast. <laughs> It's a universal rule. It's bigger than All right. All right. So, yeah, now, Tom mentioned you're not as active as you have been. Not saying you're not a part of it, but you just have a lot of stuff going on. So you have actually have a very large property. If you could give a little bit of the history on your property, where it was when you started, where you're at, and kind of where you're going with it. Sure. Um, first, I also want to thank you guys for having me on the podcast. I have been listening, actually, since episode 20 with wow. Dr. Dwayne Estes from the Southeastern Grassland Initiative. And I remember back then, you guys would were, said you'd be happy if you could just get 50 listeners who weren't your family and friends. <laughs> so now you are a podcasting phenomenon, um, and I'm honored, and I'm also really appreciative of the opportunity to kind of share with people the work that I'm doing, um, because it's, it's, it's very large. It's very rewarding. It's very exciting, but it's also very challenging. Um, when my husband and I moved to middle Tennessee about five and a half years ago, uh, we originally started with 30 acres and just to set the stage a little bit. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles where I lived until we moved here. So I was a city girl, and our house was on a 7,000-square-foot lot, and I have a succulent garden, um, which primarily was maintained and designed by what I like to call my landscape therapist, because I certainly paid that much money for the landscaping. (laughs) But um, beautiful landscaping has always given me such joy and solace. Um, So when we moved here and all of a sudden had 30 acres in a rural part of Middle Tennessee, I was completely unprepared for um, really the journey that we embarked on. Um, so since we moved here, we started with the 30 acres. We've now grown to 72 acres. And I think it's probably easiest for me just to kind of go through our four major restoration programs, starting with our original property. Um, I like to say that my my native plant gateway drug was the landscaping beds around our house. Uh, When we moved here, I did everything wrong. I put in invasive species because I didn't know that invasive meant, you know, that birds were going to eat the seeds and spread it all in my forest. I just thought it meant I had to be very careful and make sure it didn't creep out of my well-maintained landscape beds. 
I put in, you know, pretty much everything non-native. And after really struggling with having to water them, having to treat them for fungicides, having to, you know, baby them, I thought there has got to be a better way. And that's how I stumbled upon native landscaping. And um, that was a pretty big endeavor. Um, and sort of towards the end of the process of converting um, the landscape that's to native plants, I had an opportunity to see Dr. Dwayne Estes speak at a conference about grasslands and prairies. And um, they don't call him the prairie preacher for nothing. He spoke, and I was all in. Um, I came home after the conference, and I suggested to my husband, we have a four-acre ecologically dead fescue pasture at the front of our property that fronts on a highway, um, a rural highway. And I said, well, why don't we try and do, you know, a little back corner? Um, you know, just in case it doesn't work out well, nobody will see it. And my husband said, he didn't say what you guys always say. That's a great idea, Deborah. Start small. He said, let's just do all four acres. And I said, okay, I'm in. We're going to do all four acres. Um, and I have to say, um, June 26 was our, our front prairie's second birthday. And frankly, that is way more significant to me than my own birthday. It is spectacular. It is, um, it, again, it's a lot of work, but I now walk through it and the colors and the life and the insects, uh, it's just overwhelming. Um, I think, Tom, you had mentioned once before that you used to be a scuba diver, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what we've created, I was an avid scuba diver. It's like scuba diving on land because you've got this explosion of color and you have this explosion of life that you can't really, um, other than underwater, it's hard to get that close to nature and have it just do its thing. But in the pollinator prairie, it does its thing. Um, so, you know, build it and they will come, and that's exactly what happened. So that's our first project. And I can now roll into the second project, but I want to take a breath and say, do you have any questions about that? <laughs> because I recognize I have been going on. <laughs> well, I know I have not seen... Dr. Estes talked, but I know Tom did, mm -hmm. and when he came back, that's all he could talk about. So I understand, and I recently just went back and listened to that episode, and I understand why everyone feels that way because the knowledge and the passion comes across in a way that not not too many people can convey emotionally in their in how they talk. So I can understand how he gets so many people on board because there's just so much knowledge there and passion. It's It's amazing, but – the two questions I had for you is, I know you refer to your prairie as her, so I'm wondering if your prairie has a name. Well, um, she does have a name, and I have to confess I'm really bad at names. Okay. Um, but I started calling her Polly, but I didn't – and I don't know where it came from. And then my husband pointed out that it was because it's a pollinator prairie, and somehow I never put those two together. It just kind of came into my head. And it's because we've got so many restoration projects, it's much easier for me to say, I'm going out to see Polly than the front prairie on the highway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I um, affectionately refer to her as Polly. But I love that because yeah. that yeah. highlights your relationship with nature, and mm -hmm. that's that's what it's all about. We're a part of it. So, And my other question is, why Tennessee? How did you end up in Tennessee? Um, the very short version of that somewhat long story is um, – 
my husband at the time when we were looking to move and we really, I never thought I would move to Los Angeles, but then all of a sudden I couldn't get out fast enough. The density and the traffic and noise and just everything became overwhelming and I, and I had to flee. And so um, when we started looking, he was a tour musician at the time and he wanted to be near a music town. And um, I also don't do well in cold climates. And Middle Tennessee, we're 40 miles west of Nashville, turned out to be a really, really spectacular choice. Um, and it, it all happened pretty quickly. I'm typically very methodical and plan things out. But from the time that we decided we were going to look around Nashville, um, we had purchased a house three months later. Wow. And I had only been out here once to look at property for a couple of days, and then the next visit we came and bought our house. And, and you could have easily have gotten that property and did nothing with it. You could have just said, this is the property, you know, and that's what it is, mm -hmm. and, and just let it go from there. Uh, well, and first – and you, you know me better than <laughs> I know, but – and it's – looking back, seeing how COVID hit after that, I'm sure you look back and go, wow, what a – you know, we were probably really good to get out of the city before – you know, before that kind of stuff. It, it, it looks like it was a blessing all around, but. Absolutely. And, and I have to tell you, um, I, I, the property that we purchased and our extended property, um, it, it's amazing property. I feel so fortunate. And, you know, given the inflation in, with real estate prices, if we had looked, you know, a year later, we would never be able to do what we've done. Mm -hmm. And then we're also across the street from a skate park. Oh, and wow. it's just everything is ideal. So I really I feel very fortunate for this land. Wow. All right. So let's get back to the next part of your restoration. But I do want to say it's it's one thing to to do native gardening on your property. This this we're talking large scale restoration, which is a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. So how did as you go into the next part, just how did you like know where to start or how to start? Or figure out how well, to do some I'm, of these things. First, I'm going to answer a different question, and that is, whose fault is it? And it all goes back to, to Dwayne Estes. <laughs> um, and I'll sort of get there. So not only did he inspire me um, to do this, but part of the learning how to do it was really um, tidbits that he would mention, and then I would research. And I would listen to podcasts, and I joined the Facebook group that Tom also is involved with the native habitat managers, mm -hmm. Kyle Leibarger. Um, so, and I made a lot of mistakes and I'm still figuring it out. So it's a process of really um, researching everything you can. Um, the wild ones is a great resource. I go to forest stewardship programs. Uh, I learn, I just try to learn from everybody I can and I mean, honestly, one of the challenges is that there are not a lot of people that are really doing what I'm trying to do in this area, and not everybody agrees. So even trying to figure out what's the best time of year to burn is difficult. So you're just talking to everybody like you guys do and trying to sort through all the information to come up with the best plan. Have your neighbors commented on what you've been doing? Um, I am, Or the locals, I guess I should say. I am, I'm so gratified. One of my kind of um, diabolical plans was to start a revolution in my county <laughs> to have like a pollinator prairie revolution, and it's working. Um, 
I have, and not only that, um, last year when it first started blooming, I mean, everybody, because we front on a highway, so lots of people drove by during that first year, two years, when it was going through the ugly stage, because part of the process is you've got to kill everything that's there. And a lot of people, you know, were like, what is she doing? And, and I also tried to first reforest the property by planting 400 trees, which ended up not working. So I'm sure a lot of people thought, you know, what's that crazy lady from California doing in that front pasture? But last year with our first, uh, first year bloom, we had people from all over the county come and want to take pictures. And what I told people, and anybody from Dixon County who's listening, anybody who wants to come by, you know, just pull off the side of our driveway. We have a walking path through it that you access from the back. Anybody who wants to walk through it, take pictures, enjoy it, it's not just for us. It's for the pollinators and it's for the community. And I've had several people reach out to me and ask, how do I do this? What do I do? And one of the things I do is I actually refer them to your podcast because I think, you. you know, you had such great guests on um, that have inspired me and have taught me. And I think that people wanting to get into this, um, you're a tremendous resource. I think what's interesting is, you know, behind the scenes, and and it's going to happen probably within the next month. We're going to have a a new number one all time episode, which is overtaking an episode that has been number one for probably a year, and it's it's one of our listeners. It's Joan Brandwine mm-hmm. <laughs> about what she did on her property, which I find that even with all the big names that we've had, our listeners really connect it with people like them mm-hmm. that are doing yeah. it. That, that can give great hands-on advice. So that what all of you are doing here is very valuable to most of our listeners because it's like if they can do it, I can do it. Well, one of the um, things that I try to do is there are a lot of government agencies, and you guys have talked about some of them, mm-hmm. that have programs that help people like um, the USD NRCS program where you can get um, matching money, the TWRA that's actually in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of government agencies and there are a lot of nonprofits, and I've been involved with nonprofits. But the landowner perspective, the person who's been trying to do that, um, I think that we bring to it an understanding that uh, the government agency, it, they haven't had the hands-on experience. So I think I'm able to tell other landowners, let me tell you what I did wrong. Let me learn from my experience because it's been a fast and steep learning curve. So I think that's perhaps what resonates with your listeners is, you know, people are actually doing it and can say, here are the mistakes I made, or you can go to these people first or skip over this. Yeah, it's it's valuable. I mean, we we make mistakes all the time. We just have the the fortune of editing it out. <laughs> so, so you don't hear it. Well, and, and but we're I'll, I'll, but we're upfront and honest about it too. We're always happy to share those. And, and, and to kind of segue, um, by the way, I do have four restoration projects, and I know we have a limited amount of time, so I do, if you need me to speed up, let me know. Well, I was going to say, for the sake of time, just looking where we're at, I, I want to introduce Alyssa, mm-hmm. and then we can go back and, and discuss more in depth uh, some of the other things you're doing. So, Alyssa, while we have been – first of all, I want to say behind the scenes – the person that keeps us organized <laughs> is Alyssa. I know like the last episode we mentioned we couldn't remember when we were going to draw a deadline on our contest. Yeah, yeah. And 
right after the episode aired, Alyssa had messaged me and said it was on this episode. You said it would be mid-August. So she keeps us uh, really on target and on track and, and works with Tom's wife behind the scenes going back and, and figuring out all the what's hots. And a, a lot of the information and notes that you can find in the in the group are because Alyssa kind of – to, Alyssa is actually in the group. If we mention things that we'd like the listeners to talk about, she'll post and said, "Hey, at, at this time on the podcast, Tom and Fran talked about this. What are your thoughts?" So, and we're not organized enough to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate. So, first, we just wanted to say thank you for for that. Um, and then we just wanted to talk to you a little bit. The other thing about Alyssa that some of our listeners probably know, if you're a member of the Facebook group, but might not. Alyssa is an incredible artist that has managed to work nature into your artwork. Now, was that always part of your art nature or has that become something that you focused on more recently? Um, yeah, I guess it's just I draw whatever I'm into. Um, so I went to art school a long time ago Um And back then my focus was a lot on like social justice issues because those were things I was concerned about. So all of my artwork involved some kind of justice, you know? Um, So I'm into plants um, and to me, native plants is a justice issue also. It's environmental. And so, uh, yeah, it shows up. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So how, how did you first get involved with, with native plants? Um, so my husband, Adam, it's actually his fault, but uh, I know anything about native plants. Um, he, well, so we, we bought our first house several years ago. And when we moved in, there were, there were a lot of overgrown bushes um, just like weeds everywhere. We didn't know what anything was. Um, like the front, like the front of the house had these two huge, some kind of evergreen, like they were covering the windows. It was just a mess. So we pulled everything out. We planted a vegetable garden in the back where one of the big overgrowths had been, um, all really good soil, um, because where we live used to be farming community. And, um, Adam started researching, what are we going to plant in our yard? How do we landscape? We're new to this. So he tackled that. Um, and for me, I grew up with a mom who loved gardening and it wasn't, you know, natives necessarily, nearly that necessarily. It was probably all non-native stuff, but I remember her just loving gardening and teaching me just different things that were in the yard. Um, So I had plans to incorporate the things that I grew up with. I was like, I want to make sure we have, you know, morning glory and, you know, some kind of, I don't even know what all pastas and, (laughs) you know, Um, but then somehow Adam stumbled upon, I don't know if it was a blog post or an article um, and it was talking about native plants and why they were important and how you can incorporate them into your home garden And uh, so he just kind of went down that rabbit hole and one thing led to another and he started like preaching native plants to me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't know what that means, you know, (laughs) and uh, eventually, you know, he he broke it down and we were both learning together. 
um, you know, he read Doug Tallamy's book, Bringing Nature Home. That was, you know, he broke that all down for me. I'm not much of a reader. So for me, I would go to the, like the videos on YouTube mm-hmm. of yeah. him giving the presentation, which is basically his book just in presentation form. And that was really helpful. Um, he read um, William Cronin's Changes in the Land. That was all about how the colonists came over and the landscape changed from how the, the Native Americans had done things. And he was like, we really got to do Native plans. We got to like, you know, do the right thing and help the environment. And I was like, okay, I'm on board because that's, you know, I'm into doing things the right way. That's what we need to do. Um, so it just meant learning and um thinking about things in a new way, which sometimes means letting go of old ways of thinking. So instead of wanting to plant things I grew up with, um, we're planting things that our kids now will remember, hopefully. Um, So yeah, I just, native plants are really cool. And um, I really loved um, the, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. That's (laughs) Um, okay. Deborah, you had said you had, there was like an analogy that you used about like swimming on land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, scuba diving on scuba diving yes. on land. Right, I love that so much because it's so true. We like now that our yard is established and we have all everything's growing and blooming. There's we have insects everywhere. It really is. It's like just walking outside into this amazing place you can explore and the kids are just, you know, talking about what's going on and yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> speaking, speaking of your kids, your, your kids, we, we borrowed their audio for the grow, read a book, which uh, Alyssa <laughs> yeah. supplied us with a bunch of audio, which was a blast. <laughs> your, your kids definitely had fun recording that. Like, because was the, there was a lot of laughing. Um, which was awesome. So thank you for that. Um, but you now get yeah. to kind of witness this through your children's eyes, uh, mm. which is very cool. So it's – they. I guess they don't really know any different other than this unless they go to someone else's property. But what was the the one game you mentioned in the Facebook group where you would reward them if they could? <laughs> yeah, so we would – since they were little enough – like you were old enough to you know talk and walk around with me. Um, you know, we would just point things out and Adam is really good about teaching them what things are. And, um, I would walk around with them and I would say, Hey, what's this plant? Or do you know what this plant is? And if they knew, um, I would say, okay, cool. So how about for every, you know, five plants, you can tell me you'll get a chocolate chip or it was something along those lines. Um, so it became a game where like every day they were like, Hey mom, can we tell you what the plants are? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Let's go. Um, so yeah, that, that was a fun, fun way for them to kind of make a game of it. So I'm sorry. I was going to say you, you mentioned how, when you'd moved into this, this house, the whole landscape was overgrown. You You had bushes in front of the windows and all that. Yeah. What did your neighbors think when you one Well, the, I'm guessing they're probably happy because you cleaned it up, but did they have any reservations about what you were planning there? Um, if they did, they didn't tell us. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have actually our, our neighbor across the street. She's really into gardening and uh, we're pretty, we're pretty good friends with her now. 
um, when we started doing Native Plans, you know, eventually that conversation came up and, uh, and now she and her partner are really into Natives too. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have some non-Native stuff, but she said that from now on they're going to just plant Natives. So like that was, you know, a good thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, one, we have a pretty good street. Everyone's really like, you know, nice to each other and doing their own thing. Um, but yeah, no one's really like said anything negative about what we're doing. Um, if anything, people will ask us, Hey, what are these really cool, like orange flowers growing in your front yard? Those are really pretty. Like right now we have the the butterfly mm-hmm. weed, um, the Sculpius tuberosa. Um, and those just really took off. They started out really small, but they seed so easily and we just have more of them popping up in the same area every year. And they're just such a brilliant orange and it's really hard not to, you know, ask what are these? They're so cool. They're so different. Um, So we've given seeds away to people who want them, you know, which is really easy because the pods are very generous. Um, We've had people ask us, yeah, just like, oh, it's this really cool tree. We've got a, a red bud in the front, which is really pretty in the spring, all those little purple flowers. Um. So if anything, it's been a conversation starter. Um, yeah, sometimes people will come over and the kids will be like, hey, come check out this thing that you can eat. And like, <laughs> this is edible. And, you know, this this is a, a tea. Um, and actually, that's something else I do with my kids um, is sometimes they'll ask me to make them tea. And I'll be like, OK, well, you go get your own and I'll pour the water, you know, <laughs> and they'll go out into the yard and we've got sweet fern and minarda and, you know, mountain mint. So they know all the different things. Sometimes if the raspberries are available, they'll try to make tea out of their <laughs> their raspberries. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Deborah, did you yeah. want to uh, chime in? Yeah, I have a question for Alyssa. Um, I've started reading The Insect Crisis. You guys had the author mm-hmm. on as a guest a while back, and it's an amazing book. And I am now hyper aware of, you know, trying to think back to my own experience. Um, I'm wondering, Alyssa, I'm noticing um, – Fewer insects, uh, fewer fireflies. Mm-hmm. My first year, we had um, caterpillars. We had um, monarch butterfly caterpillars. This year, I'm not seeing any in the gardens around my house. Mm-hmm. We've got them in the front prairie. I'm wondering, have you noticed a decrease in the insect population between the years since you started? Um, no. If anything, we've noticed an increase, I would say. And this year, especially, uh, my kids were even saying, hey, mom, there are a lot of birds this year. Um, so we've seen a lot of birds because we've got a lot of insects. Um, I haven't seen too many monarch caterpillars yet. We have had a few, um, but it's still early in the season for us. I'm in Connecticut, so it takes our season a little while. Um, we don't usually start seeing them until probably late summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more our native plants take off, the more we notice. Um, and that could just be because I'm home with my kids, like, walking around all the time. And we have a small yard, so it's easier for us to check in with all the things and see what's going on. If, if, if I could add on that, too, we had, which which is kind of funny, but when, when my fiancé bought her house, does it drive you crazy, Deborah, when I keep saying fiancé? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's an inside joke. I thought you were going to point out that I'm yeah. the one that said you should let the guests speak more. Yeah. <laughs> calling you out on calling um, um, your fiance as opposed to by their name. I, 
I, I get married in two weeks, so I'll be able to save my wife. Hey. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, when Agatha bought the house 13 or 14 years ago, there was a uh, like a security light at the top of the backyard, this bright yellow light that is on 24-7 that has never burned out in 14 years. I mean, what are the, what are the odds of that? But it was bright enough that it illuminated the entire backyard mm-hmm. all the time. We finally disconnected it. Uh, over the winter, we had someone come in and disconnect it, um, and we didn't we didn't rake the leaves this year in the backyard. We have more fireflies and more insect. I think there, there's less light pollution. We're we're seeing more insects, like more swallowtail caterpillars. We haven't had any monarch, but just the amount of bees, uh, the activity overall has way more than the last like two or three years that we've noticed. So, you're are you seeing less like overall? Um, I, I think I'm seeing a, less of a few things, but my husband pointed out that it's really just only early summer, but it's been so hot in late spring, it probably feels like yeah. everything should be here already. But it's interesting to me that we're all observing fewer monarch caterpillars, because that was the first first thing I noticed. Um, and I don't, again, know if that's coincidental. And definitely fewer fireflies, but other insects, there are a lot of and. You know, again, I know I know it's cyclical and it's not necessarily, you know, the big bad that, that he talks about in the insect crisis, but I really am paying a lot of attention to that. Mm. And and that was such a chilling book. If if you've read it, that foreword of of life without insects outlines it in such a way there's a lot of things that you kinda know but you don't realize until he kinda lays it out how bad it would be just in the decline and and what it means you know, there's so many interlocking pieces and we need all of them it doesn't hold together without them and that's a major one um and that's part of the reason why we're all doing this so well and for me just again the importance of, of what you guys are doing by i hadn't heard of the book until i heard him on your podcast and i i was always very um obviously sensitive to pollinators but my appreciation for all the zillions of other insects just grew exponentially reading this book. And, and uh, it, it really has revolutionized the way I think about things too. It was once I, I read that book, um, I really think twice when I like swat something like it's, There'll be something, I don't know, it's just a reaction. Something lands on you, and your first instinct is to swat it. It's, oh, something landed on me. And I'm like, am I going to kill the last of something if I do this? Is this, <laughs> is this like the last of something? I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, I really started to think about that a little bit more, and uh, I'll give it like a little brush to get it off me instead of. It's, it's just a paradigm shifter because you think, ooh, insects, bad. And that's something like we, we talked about before as a kid. Like I remember playing with caterpillars and inchworms and not thinking twice about it but somewhere in those teenage years it goes from being cute to icky mm-hmm. for a lack of better word and i don't know what that is but it's definitely reading some of these books and articles that we talk about really shifts it like we do more capturing and taking outside in different parts of the yard or mm-hmm. moving to other parts of the yard i don't know if that's actually helping or or not but it's just like a little bit of a shift in in how we do it but um now, Sorry, Alyssa, it. one of the things I noticed with your posts in the Facebook group a lot is a lot of them revolve around either tea or, or stuff you can eat. And how, so how did you get into that aspect of native plants? Um, I don't 
don't really remember where it started. I know that we were very intentional about wanting to plant things that we could eat, like the obvious ones, raspberries, blueberries, Mm -hmm. fruit trees. Um, I'm not sure. I feel like it was one of those things where somewhere along the way I found out something was edible. It might have been, I don't know, it might have been Darren Williams talking about how the violets were edible. I think it might have started a little bit before that, but I remember that that particular episode stood out to me because he was pointing out a lot of people don't know how much stuff is edible. And once I found out violets were edible, I was like, what the heck else is in our yard that we can actually eat? Like I know like the indigenous people like fed themselves off of the land and they must have been using native plants. So, you know, what's in our yard? I'll just you know, Google's amazing. You can just look something up like, oh, is this edible? And there's like a bunch of different like foraging groups. And um, and I follow some different Instagram accounts now too, which is helpful. Um, but I remember, yeah, Sweet Fern, that might've been Adam even saying like, hey, check out the, that this thing is a tea. And um, like we have New Jersey tea. We've tried that mm-hmm. before. Um, we found out Monarda was something you could try and make a tea. Yeah, it's just a matter of like, you know, just taking one thing at a time and being like, what's what, what can I find out about this plant? Is it edible? Is it not? And it can be yeah. daunting. One of the, the the one piece of advice I remember from Sam Thayer that sticks with me is you don't need to know all the edible plants. You only need to know one, and that's the one you're mm-hmm. about to eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and which yeah. is which is great advice. Just a little reminder. It's like, all right, you don't have to know everything, but if you're if you're thinking about this one know everything you can about that one and then you can mm. feel safe so um just that for sake of time man i i wish we may have to do a part two we may have to come back and do this one again um because i'm just looking at time so uh i'm not sure if skip is still with us or not but if so i want to move to some more of the oh he's there some more of the group questions um but first real quick deborah before i forget um you you, I know you're involved with Wild Ones and other ones, but you actually did you take a paid position with an organization and get um, more involved? I, I did. Uh, I um, ended up stepping in as interim director of operations for the Southeastern Grasslands Initiative um, in I think it was July or August of last year. Uh, the, the organization has grown so quickly that they needed some middle management. They didn't have a director of operations, and um, over. Actually, over the years since I first saw Dwayne speak at the conference and he started me on this journey, we had come to get to know each other quite well. Um, he ended up moving to my county about three oh, months no before I met him. Oh, wow. So he was a stone's throw away. Um, and so I went to work with them until they got their permanent director of operations in January. Um, I'm still doing a little bit of work, but I have so much work to do out in the field, which I love. I mean, I am, if I can't spend time outdoors, my mood starts to decline. So I am, I really, I I even told him, I said, the irony would be if I stepped into this position and my own restoration project suffered. But luckily when I stepped into it, it was at the end of summer going into fall. So a lot of my really, uh, a lot of the the work for that year had been done. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that we're back in spring and summer, I, I just have to be out working because the thing about restoration is you can't just say, oh, I'll do it next week because 
when the invasive species come up and it's the right time to hit them, you know, you've got to get the weather to cooperate, your own schedule to cooperate. You've got to be available to be to do this stuff. Um, but I love the South Asian Grasslands Initiative, and I, I expect I'll be involved with them in some form or another, really, for the distance. If Dr. Dwayne Estes asks, can you really even say no? I don't think I don't think he well, can. <laughs> like, like I said, I mean, I um, we have 25 acres that I am actively managing for restoration. And it's really all because of him. So apparently I can't say no. <laughs> and before I forget, also, thanks to Deborah, but also RJ, your husband, is our theme music for Buzz, which I can't imagine that – like some of the other episodes we've – like Rooted Discussions and, and the Meet the Guests, we've changed music over time. I don't see us ever not using that music because it's kind of part of the show, I feel. So, well, I think when you. you pointed out that that opening guitar riff has an effect on it that makes it sound like a buzz, because I wasn't <laughs> sure why you had picked that one. And then when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's perfect. <laughs> um, and I don't know if people hear it the same way you heard it, but it really, it really, I think it has the right kind of sound for the episode. I, I agree. Yeah. It's synonymous with it. I can't do. So let's do a couple group group questions because i think we're down to we got about 15 minutes so and we have to definitely ask everyone their their favorite native plant we can't skip that one so um we're dealing from from getting native plants in different parts of the country from connecticut to new jersey to tennessee from smaller scale to larger scale getting native plants and getting local provenance plants how difficult is it for each of you finding what you need like how how much of a problem is that for what you're trying to accomplish and i don't care who goes for anyone that wants to kick in first is fine skip if you're there if you want to go first i haven't heard from you in a while yeah i I mean i think now i know what i'm looking for it's a little bit easier Mm -hmm. so you know i can go online and go to finance director a couple of the other websites uh that are in the state and get plants. And there's actually, uh, there's a big uptick in native plant sales oh, yeah. like across the state, just kind of pop-up sales. Mm-hmm. And that's the change I've noticed since two years ago, that the amount of native plant content out there is just like grown exponentially. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can't, I, I used to go and look for something to listen to and, or watch like, you know, every week. And now I, I can't keep up with it all. So, but that's yeah, a good so thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great thing. We always talk about even with competitors for our business, we need this whole movement to grow beyond what we can match or our competitors can match. We need more like there, you know, and, and to be able to supply all the 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 public that are just starting to become aware of this and, and get interested. There's there's not enough product <clears throat> to meet that demand. So we need <clears throat> it to grow. And I think it's. The more people that are talking about it, the more podcasts, the more YouTube channels, the more TikTok. Like you think when we started this, did Kyle Leibarger have his native plant talk? Not yet. Or no. um, uh, the, what's the foraging one that that everyone loves? I'm not on TikTok. Oh, so the, um, what's her name? Alexis Nicole. Yeah. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. I think she probably started a little right around. Well, TikTok wasn't even that big. Yeah. Yeah, when we started. It was but, just kicking off. When so. we did our – when we started our podcast, there was really only one or two other – like 
there was the native plant John McGee with the mm-hmm. Native Plant podcast, and there were some that dealt with natives, but not always. But it's there's there's a much larger. We look at the yeah the list every week, and it's every week there's a new one, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It yeah. it, it really oh, yeah. is. Um, and then I did, I did want to say I walked into Home Depot uh, sometime during the spring with my wife for something, and they I was surprised they actually did have uh, woodland flocks, and uh, they had like eucaras and a few other mm-hmm. uh, plants that I, that I've never seen there before. So. There, there's inroads there. Yep. So, so you're definitely finding it a little bit easier. Like, say, if you've been doing it for f- four or five years, it's it's becoming a little bit easier to find what you're looking for. Yeah, because now I have you know kind of go to sources, but also if you walk in a a bit a more traditional nursery or garden center, I think they're going to have something for you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So the other uh, addition I'll have to this question is um is do you prefer buying Live plants, or do you prefer buying seed? I'm going to throw that one to Deborah because yeah. if you're doing as many acres as you're doing, I would imagine that you have to incorporate seed to make it affordable. Skip, do yeah. you want to finish what you yeah, were saying and then I jump in? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, good. I mean, Deborah, you can answer, but I, I definitely prefer either plugs or seed because they, they're cheaper and you, you can just get so much more for your money. Skip, have you used a lot of seed on your property? already yeah i use a ton of seed and i it's either i'm either growing my own plugs or i'm or winter sowing or i did a little project last year i direct sowed a thousand square feet so uh that that's coming up really nice but if i had done that from one gallon pots that would have been like ten thousand dollars or something so, oh, yeah. so how yeah. how <laughs> skilled how skilled have you become in growing from seed um it's it's hit or miss you know because uh, you guys know growing and uh there's a lot of variables with the weather and the potting soil and stuff. And it's just, but I, I think I've gotten pretty adept at when to sow things and, and that kind of thing. And, and there's some like our propagator who we, we talk about all the time. He's, he's not just one of the best native plant propagators. He's just one of the best propagators in the country. And he's been doing it for almost 40 years. And Every year we have an issue with something that we've never had an issue with before. This year we had an issue with tussock sedge. There's been years we've had an, an issue with verbena, which you can just find volunteering everywhere. Or we've had an issue with New England aster. It just <clears> – <throat> no matter how much you know, there's always something <laughs> you don't know and there's always something that throws you for a loop. So it's – if you can be proficient in it and you can save a lot of money that way. And it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. nice to hear how, how – how good you've done with it like that's that's important for people to know that it is a possibility you can get seed and you can grow your own your own plants this might sound a little crazy but i i think some of them have like a mind of their own like last year was like the milkweed year like all the milkweeds germinated and then this year like none of them want to germinate so it's gone (laughs) that's 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 the way it is sometimes and it's we don't know why and sometimes it's it's just like masting uh we talked about where like where yeah. oaks or hickory will produce larger mass. Sometimes certain plants produce less viable seeds on some year, more viable seeds. Like when we do the germination percent uh, testing, it's like what's going on, you know, this year. Yeah. Or, you know, we we even learned like uh, – I don't want to go too off topic, but I'm going off topic. <laughs> uh, black Native black cherry, uh, the last two years, the fruit – this year, not this year, but the two years prior, the fruit fell off before it ripened, um, mm-hmm. and we couldn't figure out why. And then we started to do a little research and found out that they can self-pollinate, like wind pollinate, if insects yeah. aren't around. 
But even if they self-pollinate, they don't produce a viable – they produce a seed but not a viable seed. So we're thinking, oh, maybe insects are down. They're self-pollinating. They didn't have enough insects to pollinate, and that's why. But you know, there's it, – it took so much research and years of having an issue to maybe finally figure out what's causing it. But mm-hmm. sorry, that was yeah. my – my side rail. All right. <laughs> so now we'll kick it over to you, Deborah. What? How difficult is it for you to find native plants or seed, and do you prefer uh, live plants or seed? Um, the difficulty depends on if it's plants or seeds. When it comes to seeds, um, luckily, Roundstone Native Seed Company is in Kentucky, and they are absolutely amazing. I probably would have abandoned all hope on our front prairie restoration but for Robert Hoffman at Roundstone, talking me off the ledge, kind of helping me through it. Mm-hmm. They will try to find seed um, as local to you as they can. But again, even they have limitations because if you look at the seed list that they send you that shows where the plants are grown, um, some of them are, are not what you would consider local, but it may be that it is the plants were originally local, but they're growing them someplace a little farther away. But at least with Roundstone, I am absolutely certain that I'm getting as close to local provenance purist as I can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of preference, we're, we've got 11 to 12 acres of prairie recreation. And when I say recreation, unlike my other restoration project, which is restoring what's there, recreation is you're really starting from scratch. There's no way that could be done without seed. So um, that, that you have to have seed. The landscape, the plants are much harder for me to find local provenance. Um, and I've had to sort of give up on being a purist. And I think uh, Fran and I might have even debated this in a Facebook chat once. Um, I have found that our landscape beds around our house um, I still use so much material that landscape plugs is they're the most economical for me. I would yeah. rather um, plant way more landscape plugs than the larger um, plants because I can experiment more. I mean, you guys were saying earlier, I think Skip was saying, you know, he's now trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. So when you're buying the landscape plugs, um, you've got the ability to experiment and kind of check that out. And then if something dies, it's not like you've just wasted $15. So uh, am I allowed to mention online vendors? Is that, was that not fair? Yeah. What, oh, yeah. Wait, what was that? Okay. You, Thomas, you, am I allowed to mention an online vendor? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So I have personally found Plants by Izell to be wonderful because I can select um, flats from various growers like North Creek Nurseries. And even though they're all sort of up in your area, so I'm sure mm-hmm. Alyssa has no problem, you know, getting her materials. Um, um, I can select a, from a wide variety of plants. Their, their website is really helpful. The quality of the plants, because I've tried everybody, and the quality of the plants that I can get through Plants by Izell, like from North Creek and some of the other growers, have been absolutely excellent. Um, and if I want to order something less than a flat because I have an area where I need more variety. Um, I've also found Prairie Nursery to be really amazing because you can get price breaks after like four plants and eight plants and nine plants. So you don't have to order the whole flat, 
but you get the price break and you can get um, prices comparable to the plugs. Mm -hmm. So for my landscape beds, um, that's, again, it's not local provenance, but they seem to do well. So I don't know. Maybe they bloom at a different time than they should because they're you know not from this region. But I find that there's so many factors that influence, you know, blooming, like how much water are you getting? You know, what's the weather like? And with climate change, and that I, I don't know that if I stuck with local provenance, with, with the world kind of changing as quickly as it is, I don't know if it would make a, a difference. But at least they're um, good quality, uh, straight species, uh, material. Well, here's the thing to remember too. It's not always where the nursery is. And, and, and the people at Izell are great people and you're getting access to plants from North Creek, which is a wholesale nursery. So you're, you're getting an avenue to get plants that, that, you know, most people would love to have access to, and they provide that access, which is wonderful. But the one thing to remember is even though, you know, North Creek may be in Southeast PA, the seed source, you know, they may need to buy something in from Roundstone. You may be getting local provenance with some of this stuff without even really knowing it. So, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like because they do things other than restoration. So there's right. there's seed coming from other places, and sometimes we we don't have access to seed, and we may have to buy this seed in for this plant to have it. So, well, well, I also think it's true that you know there are some local nurseries, but you're paying for the gallon. But they may be mm-hmm. getting their plug, which they're just replanting from North Creek Nurseries. Yeah, yeah. So really knowing exactly where your plant came from um, is tough. So that's why I've, I've decided that the quality of the material and the cost effectiveness of using the plugs through, say, Plants by Azel, that, that, that's really what sells it for yeah. me. Yeah, and, and you're dealing with reputable nurseries, which makes all the difference. Right. You know, you – I have no doubt that if you were to ask Izell, hey, can you can you find out for me the the seed source for this plant? Mm-hmm. They would they would find out for you, yeah. and and it would be a good answer. Um, but before we ask Alyssa, and we're coming to Alyssa, you were explaining to me, Deborah, a discovery that you made on your property or may have made about uh, yes. If you can share that with us, I didn't share with Tom. I, oh, no! So he's right. he'll be surprised. <laughs> well, actually, I was gonna I was gonna wait for what's my favorite my okay then wait. favorite native yeah. plant. All right, for that. we'll so, wait for that. And then I'm gonna say before we, <laughs> we go to Alyssa, Skip. I know you got to drop <laughs> off. You have a, a hard out. So why don't you tell everyone what your favorite native plant is now? And and um, and um, if if you can factor in also like if you want to give a tip to any of our listeners yeah. who are interested in native plants, if you can give us those two together we would love that sure you know last time i answered my favorite native plant was spotted wintergreen which is just kind of a random little woodland plant and uh, i was thinking about what am i going to say this time and i walked out of the door where i work a door i don't usually use to talk to to kim who's the president of our native plant study chapter this was just yesterday i'm talking to her on the phone and i looked down at the ground and under the uh, norway spruce was a big like a huge patch of spotted wintergreen and full bloom <laughs> and there was like a, literally a ray of sunshine coming through the clouds shining on it and i'm like okay i guess i'll pick that again you know <laughs> one of those plants that just shows up in places that you don't expect it and it uh it's kind of like difficult to propagate they don't sell it in the nurseries really so I'll, it's just kind of a unique thing so i'm gonna go with that again Awesome. Awesome. And do you have a tip for the listeners that if someone's starting out, uh, like words of wisdom that you would pass along? 
Um, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would definitely look at some of uh, Benjamin Vogt's videos on YouTube about the living mulch layer because that's really what I'm trying to go for. And I think that's going to uh, save a lot of time mm-hmm. when you're just getting started. And, like, you can take steps to get that mulch layer started and kind of figure out the other stuff later. So uh, if you are going to just buy yourself a few plats of uh, sedges or something like that and just get it planted, that's going to give you, like, a big head start with everything else. So, I mean, I, that's what I would go for. That That is great advice. And, and obviously, I know we know that you have to go, like, at a hard out. Stick them around us. We're not kicking you out. Just if you need yeah. to go, we understand. I just want to make sure you, you had the opportunity. Yeah, you had the opportunity. To, to stuff. Yeah. Um, I, and then, and then, I'm sorry. I just, no, go, I please. Just wanted, I wanted to share another revelation I had here at work. And I, I just looked at it in the parking lot, and there's just deer that walk through here every night. There's like 20 deer, and everything is just browsed down so bad. But there's a, a bayberry shrub. And out of that bayberry shrub, there's like an oak sapling that's growing out of it. Hmm. So I was like, I had this thought, like, if you just planted a bayberry shrub with a little tiny tree seedling in it, like, eventually you're going to kind of have an ecosystem just growing by itself. That tree is going to grow up protected by that deer-resistant shrub. So that's, I guess, another tip. If you want to start a plant, like, in the middle of your yard, lawn or whatever, and uh, shrink your lawn, that's, like, that's probably a good approach. That is a fantastic piece of advice that I hadn't even thought. Now I'm thinking about things I can plant around my... uh cranberry viburnum to get the deer to stop, <laughs> stop <Yeah>. eating <laughs> oh that's fantastic advice and um going to listen and since skip brought up benjamin vote i was thinking how fortunate you are when when you look at pictures of benjamin's property and when we talked to him he mentioned that his neighbors still don't care for what for what he hasn't he hasn't been able to win over anyone locally Alyssa, how fortunate you are to have neighbors that are getting into it and talking about it and you're able to have them interact with it um all right so how about for you um how difficult is it for you finding plants that you're looking for in your region or your part of the 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 country and do you prefer cedar plants when you're planting um I guess I should come clean and say that Adam does most of the work in planting. (laughs) (laughs) I reap the benefits of his work. (laughs) Um, But no, we do have uh, a native nursery in our state. Um, I think it's about an hour or less from our house. Um, So he'll make a trip out there once a year. He'll usually bring the kids. Um, He's actually started... um, a little family tradition with them where he brings them and lets them each pick a plant to put in the yard. They can plant whatever they want under like a certain amount and um, they find, you know, they find a spot for it. And uh, that's been fun. Um, Adam's also really good at finding things like net that are naturally growing that he knows would probably get mowed down where they are or ripped out by, you know, landscaping companies Um, so he pays attention to that. Like he might collect seed or, um, I think some of the Marnarda in our yard is actually from a place near where he works. Um, that's usually like, you know, mowed down every, you know, so many weeks or something. So he tries to pay attention to like, what can I save that's going to get, you know, destroyed and maybe we can like, you know, keep it going. Um, 
the only time I have gotten seed for something that we couldn't get access to here um, was for purple milkweed. This was like several years ago. Um, it's really rare here. Um, the nerd that like the nursery that we go to doesn't have it. Um, and I just remember this is like still before I really knew a whole lot about native plants or propagating or anything, but I remember hearing him say, I would, I would love to have purple milkweed, but I'm not going to find it. And, uh, as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, I'm on a mission now. I gotta, I gotta find that milkweed. <laughs> So um, Adam doesn't do Facebook, but I do. So I was able to find like a pollinator group and see if anybody had purple milkweed seeds that they could send me. Um, and there was someone from Pennsylvania who had seeds and, um, and she was willing to send them to me. And I remember Adam saying something about making sure things are like, you know, close enough to our area as possible because of provenance. And I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, okay, well, Pennsylvania is kind of close. It's like, you know, same climate. We're kind of in the same like latitude or whatever. I don't know if that counts, (laughs) but uh, I'm going to see if I can do this. And so I like researched how to propagate it. And I kept seeing all this information about how hard it was to get purple milkweed to grow. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I got sent like a packet of maybe like 10 or 20 seeds and uh, I was like, okay, I got to stratify these things. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Um, so they ended up in the fridge for like, you know, a couple months. And then I tried putting them in the little pots, put them in the bay window. And uh, none of them germinated except for two. And then one of those died. And I, babied, I babied the one so hard. I was like, oh my gosh, please survive. Please survive. And now it's growing in our front yard, but like Adam planted it, it survived and it's beautiful. And it's like one of my favorite things. It's like the most love I ever gave a plant probably in my life. (laughs) So, yeah. But but that's a great story and lesson too, because not every seed is viable. Not every Mm -hmm. seed germinates in the wild. It it just needs the right conditions. And sometimes it needs to be babied. So if you can get one out of that, that's wonderful. And I love that it's still in the yard and and doing well. Awesome. Yeah. And I've learned and I've learned a lot since since that process too. Like there are so many different ways to stratify. I've learned like a, a way that works way better for anything I try to germinate, which is great. And I love that everyone asks those questions in the Facebook group too. Like, hey, has anyone had any experience doing this? I'm working on that. And we get mm-hmm. a lot of great collective information that way. Um I see Skip still there. And if he has a second to answer, because I know we had one question about who inspires you and let me see if he kicks back in. No. Okay. So we get to ask everyone. Oh, is he back? I don't and think he's so. He's still muted. Okay. Never mind. Oh, yeah, he is. I'm sorry. What was the question? No, that's okay. We were going to ask who inspires you? Who's your inspiration for, for doing what you do? Oh, man, that's really hard to say. <laughs> It could be it could be anyone. I didn't know if it was it could be an author. We're not looking for ourselves. Don't, I don't feel, feel like this I'm is not a fishing. fishing. No, I'm not fishing. I'm not fishing at all. No, but is there yeah, I mean there's it's there's it's, so many. Okay. So uh you know, obviously Doug Tallamy and, and all his authors. And then uh you know, I yeah, you I think you guys, because you you have actually taken a lot of these people and gotten them together and uh just your emphasis on working together. Mm-hmm. with multiple groups and I, I just agree with that approach and that's uh that's what i've done and uh, that's what i would also tell other people to do is to find people that you can work with and then 
to try to get involved with them. We uh, and that's fantastic advice. We, I, I don't even know if I should be sharing this, but I'm going to share this. We actually uh, just turned down uh, an advertiser that had contacted us about advertising on the podcast, and it was more of like a a global a, a global organization, and we kind of felt that if we promoted that. We, we've been preaching to everyone to get involved in your local nonprofits and be able to be a part of it and see what they're doing and how everything's being spent thing that we just kind of felt like it was very contradictory to the message that we've been sharing and we we declined it was it was a it was nice to be considered for that but we just kind of felt like this isn't really I think it doesn't really align with our message it was it was hard we debate and Tom and I talked about mm-hmm. it for for a few days actually so it's I, I'm glad that you're able to take away that that uh, message from us because that's an important message for us and and we've had so many nonprofits on that do so much great work locally and we love to see everyone getting involved and that's that's truly my inspiration is watching how everyone else how well everyone's doing and I'm not as involved in the Facebook group anymore because I don't feel I need to be like it's it's fun for me watching everyone else kind of explode. So in a good way. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think there's a real hunger for it. Like I, I couldn't believe how fast that project got together and got mm-hmm. planted. Yeah. So, yeah. I be- was was yours picked up last week? Was it during the pickups last week that that one went? Yeah, but it went from like an idea to an application to planted in like two months. Wow. And so many people showed up that we got the project done by noon. Like I yeah. literally wow. could not believe it. Yeah. And that was a lot of plants. That's, that's impressive. That's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic news. We love seeing that. And and if you can share with us uh, photos later, if you have photos uh, of that oh, or absolutely. even in the future, we'd love to see that. Um, yep. Deborah, who's, who inspires you? Well, Skip and I are on the same page. Um, Dr. Doug Calame, um, I think bringing nature home. I think that was the name of the book is probably the first book that I read um, and gave me the basics, the fundamentals, um, and was the first kind of revelation about the importance of insects. Um, you know, Nature's Last Best Hope. We actually have named our property in tribute to Dr. Tellamy, um, Best Hope Farm, because we really feel with it being geared towards restoration and pollinators that um, – you know, we're not about growing crops. We're about growing food for the, the food web. Um, and I also think his homegrown national park concept is brilliant, and I think it's achievable. Um, it's going to be a long haul. So he really inspired me on the landscape level. Um, then, of course, uh, Dwayne Estes, because he took me from the landscape level to the land restoration level. Um, and, you know, as you guys pointed out, you can't listen to him and not be inspired. And I've had really the, the honor and the, and the privilege to be able to talk with him almost every night <laughs> for a series of months as we were sort of working through this transition with the, with the organization. And he just never ceases to amaze me. Um, and then, you know, again, I don't mean to pander to you guys, but, but you guys. And it's a combination of the guests that you have on, the approach you take, the civility, uh, the encouragement you give, because you also talk to people about kind of the frustrations 
Um, and you've asked, I, I know Fran, I recall you asking a guest, you know, how do you not get down about it? Because sometimes the magnitude of the assault that the, that biodiversity is facing, sometimes it's really discouraging. I mean, I get discouraged, um, especially when I haven't been outside for a while and I get discouraged. But then when I go out and I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing it. Um, so really what you guys have done, and I said earlier, I, I, I give you guys out as a resource for people who want to live, learn more about it. Um, and you also help make me feel connected to a movement. Um, so I don't feel like I'm just out there doing it myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're all full of compliments today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you said, to make up for that early <laughs> You said I look professional. <laughs> look at this. <laughs> thank you very much, Deborah. Alyssa, how about you? Who, who, who inspires you? Well, I definitely have to echo um, Deborah. Um, yeah, this podcast has definitely just opened so many new ways of thinking. Um, like every episode, I've, I've listened to all the episodes and I'm sort of like an all or nothing person. So even if it's a, an episode that doesn't sound interesting at first, I like have to listen to it anyway. Like I have to do things in order. Um, and I know I've just been surprised a lot listening through. And, you know, there was the the two episodes about deer pressure and I remember going to be like, what is this about? Like, uh, <laughs> it seems so boring. But then, like, just all the guests you have on are just so, like, passionate about what they're talking about and knowledgeable. And it makes me want to care about all the things. <laughs> um, so now I know about deer pressure. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. But, like, it's, I, I don't know. It's really neat. Um, and I'm, like, learning along with my kids. So my kids inspire me. I love seeing them like ask questions and like just be outside and like, you know, just, like, just watching things. And, you know, my littlest will come up and be like, Hey mom, come check out this bug. I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, yeah, I just, I love their curiosity and yeah. And my husband, Adam, just that he has thrown himself into this so much. Um, yeah. Anyone who like, is open to learning and talking about things and thinking about things and trying to figure out how to make the world a better place at like so many people inspire me to just keep doing what I'm doing. And like you were saying, Deborah, like it can get discouraging, but just knowing that there are so many more people getting on board with it is very just hopeful. It's cool. And, and that's great to hear. I mean, and Adam, even though he's not part of the, the Facebook group, he, he does interact with us on Twitter. So when you, you look at, when something becomes this much of a part of your life, had he not made that suggestion, it's amazing like with what it means to you and your children and your family, what would have happened mm-hmm. had he not made that suggestion. So it's just yeah. – sometimes it's just a matter of fate, which which I kind of feel like – you know, I'm actually going to take a turn of who inspires me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's – you know, obviously the listeners, I love watching like in a, in a weird way. All of you are like our children, like, and we're getting to to experience all of you getting to experience this, which is so fulfill so fulfilling. Like, so from the bottom of my heart, for all of you to say that we're an inspiration that's that's very touching and means a lot to me. 
Um, our guests, uh, I feel like we get a free education from our guests and, and we get to talk to some of the people that we love all the time that maybe we wouldn't have an avenue to talk to. And they're doing such great work and that's inspiring to get to be a part of that and to hear them. But Tom, I, I don't give you enough credit. You, if, if all of you knew how many times I felt that the podcast has gone and I had no – like I felt like oh, I think we've done about everything that we could do. I don't know that we can go anywhere else with this without rehashing it. Tom comes in with like a fresh perspective and a different view that, of something that I would have never have thought, thought of that completely takes this podcast in another direction and keeps it going and – refreshes it so thank you tom well I thanks friend now i'm gonna list off my inspirations and <laughs> you're not no <laughs> maybe i'll have to add you to no um and just for everyone also listening fran carries like all the legwork with this i uh i help align some guests and then fran tells me oh yeah we got to sh- show up at this time and i need you to make me a zoom link <laughs> so that's uh that's well, my thanks. usual contribution but um and i will throw out there we have some really cool guests lined up in the next, uh, it's just scheduling is the big thing. Uh, Skip, you mentioned Benjamin Vogt. He's coming out with a new book. Uh, he's going to be coming on sometime before the end of the year, right around when his book is getting released. Again, so we'll get to catch up with him because he was a pretty early on guest. He was really early, yeah. Um, we have a guy coming on from the Nature Conservancy um, to talk about some of their urban habitat projects, which that's going to be – I saw him speak at a conference. I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to have him on. Yeah. We want to put something together about um, basically some of these uh, government projects and how they come together. And uh, basically all the players from the volunteers all the way up to the Army Corps of Engineers and how this all came about. So we have some people from the federal level, state level, all different things. Um, and there's, there's still the Cooking with Native ones. The that Cooking is- with Native one will happen at some mm-hmm. point. <laughs> We're on like the third round of potential potential guests. I have like one guy who's definitely in. Uh, a lot of people have said they're in, and then I don't hear from them again. But there's been guests uh, where it's taken us two years, like oh, yeah. Rebecca McMacken. Yep, um, that's a long one. Uh, uh, Brenda Sieglitz. Yep. Some of these were in the works for two years yep. before we, we were able to get yeah. get it together. So. And the one that we were talking about the other day that I'm just starting to reach out to some people on is uh, is the, how to determine what's native. And um, that's going to be an intriguing one because and I don't think everyone's going to agree. <laughs> I know no, no. not everyone's going to agree. That's half but, the fun. Uh, yeah, so that'll be a cool one. But, no, I would definitely say the listeners inspire me a lot, too, especially in that Facebook group. Just seeing what people are doing makes me get out there and say, well, I, I have more to do in my yard. And um, and then uh, the only other person I'd throw out there was, and Deborah, you mentioned him earlier, was uh, Kyle Leibarger because Doug Townley, he reaches his audience and a little bit more, and um, Dwayne Estes has his audience, and they're – there's some crossover there, but uh, but there's definitely different folks that that follow each one. And Kyle just hits a completely different demographic, and he's really gotten it out in the mainstream. And I know this because I have friends of mine that don't care a thing about native plants. I grew up with them; they're they're into their own things, and they're on Instagram sharing in their stories <laughs> Kyle Leiberg is putting up and I'm like man you had didn't express any interest in native plants and literally you live five minutes from one of the biggest native plant nurseries in the country and you don't you're gonna like share this guy's story so um he's been doing a lot too and that's important that's and that's that, where it comes down, down to everyone is you're you're an influence on your own circles whether it's your family your friends your neighbors so um your inspirations for for people as well 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're going to throw to Alyssa and Deborah the two questions we gave to Skip earlier. And uh, what tips would you give our listeners who are interested in native plants? And what is your favorite native plant? Uh, Alyssa, let's start with you this time. I'm not going to make you go last. I'll, I'm going to hit you up. <laughs> All right. So tips. Um, I don't know. Like just getting out there and watching things. That's been really big for me. Um, and I feel like learning a little more every day is helpful. Just the more you learn, the more you can appreciate and not be afraid of things too. Like I used to be really not into bugs. Like that wasn't my thing. Bugs, spiders, bees, keep them away. But just having listened to ductalamy and learning about how important native plants are, being out there and watching them come to the plants and seeing how busy all the bugs are. They're not interested in bothering me or the kids or just, um, yeah, just like paying attention to nature is just so cool. Um, and I know for Deborah said earlier, like they did all, you know, she and her husband did everything at once. <laughs> Adam tried to do that when he first started and it was like way too much. So for <laughs> I like I I like the the uh, the advice of like just you know a little bit at a time. <laughs> don't bite don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, that's helpful. Awesome. And then my favorite native plant. Or do you want me to do that one now? Yeah, yeah. Please do. Okay. Uh, my kids tried to influence me yesterday when I told them I had to answer this question. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, mom, you should say this one and this one, this one." I was like, okay, well, you guys can have those be your favorites. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do mine, and I do have theirs if you're interested. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, so my favorite plant is Comptonia peregrina, which is sweet fern. Um, it's just been such a cool introduction to not just like being an edible thing, but like I dry a bunch of it every year, and we give it as Christmas presents to family. We've given it to neighbors before. I always have like a little card saying what it is, you know, how to make it into a tea. That's just been such a really cool way to connect people with like what we're doing. You know, I feel like we're growing something. We're doing something meaningful with our hands. And like, I don't know, it's just like love being passed around and connecting us to the earth. And I don't know, all the good stuff, all the good feels. And it's just a really cool plant. It's just really easy, easily recognizable. Um, it adds cool texture to the area where we have it planted and I don't know, it's just a cool plant. I love it. And I love the way it smells. Even if I'm not going to eat it, you can just like pick off a leaf and rub it and smell it. And it's just so comforting and I love it so much. Every time I walk by it, I, I pick a leaf off and smell mm. it. So I yeah, can't help so it. Good. I can't help it. All right. And what, <laughs> what were your kids' favorite plants? Okay. I have it here. Oh, hang on. It just like, oh, here we go. Okay. My nine-year-old said scentless mock orange, which is Philadelphus enodorus. I don't know if I'm saying these right. Um, my seven-year-old loves the elderberry, Sambucus canadensis. And my five-year-old said butterfly weed, Asclepias tuberosa. All great choices. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic choices. All right, Deborah, I'm throwing the same questions at you. And okay, I'm, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to start with the tips, but um, okay. one of my tips could also be a final thought. So are we going to do final thoughts or are we, we have We thought? are doing final thoughts. 
And I see Skip still here, so if he gets a chance when we get to him, I'm going to make sure he gets to do that as well. Okay, um, so I want to echo on my tip what Alyssa said. Learn as much as you can. There are so many great resources, as we've talked about this podcast. Um, there may be other podcasts, but I don't listen to other podcasts other than you guys, so I assume there might be. Um, there are tons of great webinars. Uh, Skip mentioned earlier wild ones, um, and I think I said I've watched a number. I mean, the, the one good thing about COVID is they started having their um, speaker presentations um, through Zoom. And I watched so many great speakers and learned so much. Um, we also support the Xerces Society, so I get all the newsletters. Um, I get their mailings, so I find out about their webinars. Um, we support um, the Audubon Society and just all of the kind of nature-based organizations. And even if you can't make a financial donation, I mean, even if you could give $5 a month, you know, it doesn't add up to being that much money, but it helps those organizations um, with their stats because it shows you've got another member. So, you know, even if you give $2, you know, you're helping the organization, but then you're also on their mailing list. So you're getting all of their emails. And sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed with all the emails, uh, but there's just great stuff in there. Um, I, part of me wishes I knew um, when I started this out, what I know today, but part of me is glad that I don't because, again, I said earlier, I mean, I'm usually very methodical. I plan things out, except for moving here, which was pretty impetuous. But even with this whole journey that we've been on with land restoration, you know, Dwayne said, oh, you ought to open up the canopy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, and I didn't really understand what that meant in all the implications. And had I, I might not have done it. And if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have the complications I have, but I wouldn't be where I am, and I wouldn't trade where I am for anything. So it's, I guess, finding that happy medium between learning everything, but not so much that you get overwhelmed. Um, so that's my, that's my tip. Um, for my favorite plant, again, as with most of your guests, it depends on the day, but my, I have two favorite plants currently, but the most significant one is called Nabalus barbatus or barbed rattlesnake root. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but when you get go down this sort of road with the land restoration and prairie recreation and some of the things that the Southeastern Grasslands Initiative are doing, um, you can fall down this rabbit hole and become kind of a rare plant elitist. And I never thought I would become a rare plant elitist until I realized I have one on my property. And when Dwayne toured our woodland a couple of years ago, I remember he, I heard him like, he gave, I think it's called the, the botany woohoo. You know, I heard this whooping from a spot. And he's like, oh my gosh, you've got Natalis Barbatus. Come look at it. And I went over and I looked at it, and I'm telling you, I would have poisoned it if it hadn't pointed it out to me as being a bad weed. I had no idea it was this unremarkable-looking basal growth. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's really cool. I've got this rare plant, but what's it going to do? And then I looked it up, and if it's in the sun, um, it grows four feet, and it has this um, beautiful flower on it, a really, really stunning flower. Um it is only found in a few counties in nine southeastern states, and it's rare in those counties. And I believe it's also called globally endangered. 
Um, and I had somebody do kind of an informal survey of our property, and he found a bunch of additional populations of it. So it turns out I've got a whole bunch of this stuff, but it's all in these shaded areas where it's not going to flower. Well, the other day, we found four of them in our second restoration area, which, and in a part of that restoration, which I've always thought was a lost cause. One of the mistakes I made in when I started this restoration was um, basically completely destroying the soil and trying to get rid of a bunch of treetops from the clear cut. And I have these patches of chert that look like places on Mars, just orange, rocky. It looks like nothing's going to grow in it. And I've got erosion issues. Um, but these Nabalus Barbados are popping up there. They're in full sun, and they're the healthiest ones on the property, and they're going to flower. And I am going to watch those things. And in August, probably more September, those things are going to flower if the deer don't get to them. And, and it's just, I just feel so proud. Right? <laughs> and I didn't even do anything. I just destroyed the earth. And now I've got this gift. Um, so that's one of them. And if I have time, I've got a second one, but I also know we're running out of time. Go ahead, throw it in there. Uh, the second one is called, I think it's Erangion mucifolium or Rattlesnake Master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is a powerhouse pollinator. <laughs> but I will tell you, when Roundstone, when Robert suggested I put it in my seed mix, I looked at it. And at that time, because I mostly was concerned about aesthetics and I didn't understand everything, I had this bias against white flowers. Like I wanted everything all yellow and purple and pink. And I was like, well, it's white, but okay. And I didn't really like the flower because it looked like a pom-pom. And I just found um, two or three of them coming up in our front front prairie. And they are so sculptural. I mean, Alyssa, you as an artist, the, the contrast of sculptural form next to the kind of floppier background of everything else, you know, and the color. It's just, it's so artistic. That I love it. You, right? We have and it. And, you, and, yeah, and actually, I have drawn it before. <laughs> so why do you love it? Is, is it because of the sculptural form or is it because it's It's just, power yeah, it's just very cool. I love the basal, like, spiky, you know, aloe kind of looking leaves um, and just this, like, staff this yeah. bald staff, like a wizard staff, and it's also got a really cool name. <laughs> it's just so right. neat. When, yeah, when Deborah it. mentioned it, Alyssa got all excited, like the arms <laughs> went in the air, like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fantastic. And, you know, it's Deborah, think about it. Had you not bought the property you bought, who knows what would have happened to it mm-hmm. if someone else would have bought it? They could have cleared it you know, done something agricultural well, with it. Well, it's- actually, I, I do know what happened. We bought it after he clear-cut nine acres of forest. Wow. Um, and that was really why we ended up buying an additional 25 of our additional acres and an additional 25 acres. You know, when we moved here, we were surrounded by this amazing forest, and he cut down every single tree of nine acres right next to our house. Wow. Um, and it was either moved to Kentucky where we could afford 300 acres, but it all worked out. So ultimately we were able to buy the property. And although I would have never have cut down a tree in my life on my own, 
what I now understand through Blaine and through my work with the Southeastern Grasslands Initiative is we actually have, and we can talk about it perhaps later, we have a remnant prairie on another part of our property, but that property was really remnant prairie, and I now have the opportunity to restore it. Um, and it's and it's a and I feel as you know I really believe in being the best steward of the land I can possibly be, and this is a huge opportunity. That is wonderful news. I got so excited when you shared that with me, but I purposefully didn't tell yeah. Tom because I wanted you yeah. to share it on the. I wanted him to be amazed. Yeah, that's an amazing story. <laughs> and I've heard that like uh, that rare plant woohoo handful of times before. Good walking around. I think I might have even said it once or twice myself. But. Tom, I, I got to tell you, it, it stuck up on me. Just you know, um, I was like, really, these rare plants, and you look at them, and they're not very much of anything. And are you kidding? And why do we care? But the more you learn, the more you. They have an appreciation for it. Oh, that is wonderful. All right. For the sake of time, and I know I've said that three times, so I apologize for that. But we let's let's go on the final thoughts. I see Skip is still connected. And if Skip, if you can hear me and you wanna do final thoughts, we would love to hear your final thought. Well, after Deborah's story, uh, I just have to say, you need to beg, borrow, and steal some fencing for that anabolist. Protect that thing right away. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, it's hard to stay positive during when you look at the scale of the problems in the world, but, uh, just, just stay positive and keep connecting with others and, uh, trying to, to make improvements because that's really the best you can do. Awesome. Fantastic. Final thought. Thank you, Skip. Uh, Alyssa, would you like to go? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just keeping an open mind and being open to learning new things, um, it's really easy to get stuck in like the way you've always done a thing, whether it's like how you landscape or, you know, what to plant, whatever, uh, how you think about bugs or animals, um, just being open to, you know, what is, what's good, what's, uh, what's nature telling us and how can we take care of it? Maybe the way we take care of nature and each other is a little different than we used to think. And just being open to learning and letting go of some of those old ways. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic final thought. Deborah, what do you have for us? Okay. Um, sort of poking the bear a little bit. The, do you start small or do you go big and go home? Um, you know, Elizabeth Rand advocates start small. I didn't hear that message until I decided to go big and go home. And I think that there's a happy medium. Because the clock is ticking. Um, Maybe more for me because I just turned 60. And so my runway is a lot shorter than Alyssa's when I look at her. (laughs) Um, And certainly Tom's as well. But but even though my own clock is ticking. Notice, Fran, how she didn't Uh, mention you in that statement either. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Tom Tom and I have, um, Fran and I have the same cultural references, Tom, that you don't get. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the, the, the clock on the biodiversity crisis is, is ticking. Um, we don't have a lot of time. So it's, I think it's a happy medium between not necessarily starting small and biting off, you know, and not going big or go home, but that happy medium of maybe stretching to the point where you're uncomfortable. But even if you make mistakes, it's okay. 
Um, and, and that kind of leads me to my second final thought, and that is I don't rigidly follow the right plant, right place rule because I find that I have plants that are coming up. Um, I have some seeds in a, that weren't supposed to be in my mix, and they're wet, uh, a swamp milkweed, which is supposed to be better for a wet habitat, and it's coming up in dry habitats. Um, I have things that are supposed to be, you know, only good in the sun that are coming up in shade. So I kind of believe in do more than you think you can, but not too much that it kills you, and experiment. And, and because you might be surprised as to what works. And again, with climate change and conditions changing, what might have worked in an area um, before isn't necessarily going to work now. And trying to figure out, well, what is my soil type here? And is it clay or is it this? I don't know you about you, Alyssa, but I have my soil changes, you know, from one foot to the next, either because of how yeah. it's been amended by the prior owners or who knows why. So I just kind of try a bunch of things and see what works. And then I'm yeah. surprised, happy. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. Like Adam just puts things places and if something doesn't look happy, he'll move it somewhere else and see what happens. And um, and actually in a previous episode, he called in with a question about pearly everlasting because we were having trouble getting it to, you know, come back. And I remember him like describing in his question, like all the different things growing in the little tiny patch, you know, where he was trying to plant it. And Fran and Tom being like, that's like a whole bunch of different kinds of plants, like all really, (laughs) they're supposed to be in different places. Um, Yeah, so I definitely, I definitely hear that. I agree with that. Awesome. Tom, would you like to go or would you like me to go? Uh, Yeah, I'll go because you're probably going to be more like sentimental and and all that. Uh, Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) um, Mine was, I I really like uh, what Deborah said about how you you need to do a little bit more than you think you're maybe capable of. and that might only be be starting with a handful of, of potted plants on a patio, um, but you got to do something. You got to you have to do a little bit, and uh, if you do a little bit more than you think you can do, well, you just keep adding that each year, and and then all of a sudden you'll have, uh, whether it's your small yard or your big property, will be completely full of native plants, and you'll be a part of that homegrown national park and uh, recruiting more people onto your team to to do it with you. So now I w- I was laughing. During Deborah's response, because this this sums up my relationship with Deborah. With unbeknownst to her, and I mentioned before, you and I are doing a talk and we put it together, and it's the talk we're really excited about. If anyone gets an opportunity uh, to hear one of these talks when we do it this fall, it's kind of like a um, an inspiration a day calendar. Uh, where it's we we pulled one inspirational quote from each of our guests. Not each of our guests. Not each, but a handful, a handful, like a, a handful of our guests. guests. Yeah. Um, and it's not the big message. It's the smaller messages um, to try to mm-hmm. keep everyone positive. And, and Skip, if you're okay with it, I would love to pull your quote of stay positive and, and add that to that thing because I think that would be a wonderful message to be a part of. But the reason why I was laughing is um, – sorry, Skip, was that – I was say that's absolutely fine. Okay, awesome. Thank you. That was a, a fantastic message to take away, and and I love that, and I want to be a have that be a part of the talk. But Tom and I each pulled a quote, and my quote is: "Right plant, right place." <laughs> <laughs> but what I love and why I laughed is Deborah challenges me 
in a good way, not in a bad way. Like she makes me think. She she makes me really, you know, break down what it is we're doing and how we do it, which is really important because you can't just always do things the way you want to do it. it. There's there's a lot of other input to it. So, you know, take those challenges on in a positive way. Stay positive. Continue to learn and continue to find inspiration in places that you typically wouldn't find it. And and I think um, I learned a lot today. And this this episode was very inspirational for me in a way that I needed it to be. And I'm taking a lot away from it. So, and I'm really thankful that all of you are part of our journey, and and we get to interact with you. It's it's. I don't know that too many people can have an outlet like this and and have such good relationships. But I'm friends with. I chat with many of you outside of the podcast, and and I love that. And I love that it's all in a good way. Like I like I had to laugh when you said you don't like the right plant, right place. I was like. Oh, you know what? She's got a lot of really good points. I got to rethink this a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I I really appreciate that uh, about you, Deborah. Thank you so much. And uh, I I think this has been a wonderful episode. And I hope our listeners were able to pull inspiration from this in the same way that we have. Yeah, so that's going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Skip, Deborah, and Alyssa. For more information, you can visit the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, and you will find all of them there uh, posting here and there. As a, If you go back, there's a lot of cool stuff. Alyssa just finished up what the whole Pollinator Week thing. That was awesome. It was <laughs> awesome. Uh, we're going to say thank you to the Egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music uh, to our uh, Meet the Guest episodes. Make sure you uh, stream or buy their music wherever you consume music. If you want to see them live, live music is back, and they're they're playing lots of live shows all the time. So uh, make sure if you're in the Philly area, you see them. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. And at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery, uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. If not, we're going to throw it out to the Facebook group to, to help us answer it. And uh, speaking of the Facebook group, uh, all of these, all of our guests are members of this group and very active and, and contribute a lot as well as a lot of other people. So uh, join the group and be a part of it with us. Yeah. So uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch directly at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a banner at the top, and it'll take you to our Teespring store. Um, there's a couple cool designs up there. I have plans to put up more uh, maybe when we slow down over the summer. And uh, I get a chance to take a breath. Then I'll make <laughs> some more and put them up. There. Are we going to slow down? I don't uh, know that we're going to. It's but um, crazier. And uh, all the profits that go from those T-shirts and, and phone cases and all that go to some of the nonprofits that we have on uh, on our podcast. The latest being the Bowman's Hill Wildflowers Preserve, right? And yes, um, yes. And, and we gave them till mid July. Till mid July, yeah. So uh, any sale that comes in until then that isn't for another specialty cause is going to go to the the Bowman's Hill Wildflower Flower Preserve. Um, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Podcast on uh, right on that website, or you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, when you're there, if you can do us a big favor, uh, it goes a long, long way. If you leave us a five star review. Um, 
then we will go up in the charts and more people will find out about native plants and how wonderful they are and get to hear from our listeners and great guests. We had three new ones in the last, three yeah. new five-star yeah. reviews in the last day. Yeah. And if you do a little write-up with it, then I give you a shout-out on our Buzz episodes. So and, with that, thank you, you have, everyone. you have the opportunity to win the Oh, yeah, the and flat the, the flat of pollinator plants. Which Alyssa yeah. reminded us, we said mid-August. Mid-August, so, yes. Awesome. So um, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you to all of our wonderful guests for spending way more time than we asked you to spend with us. Um, next week, we have a Buzz episode coming up, so make sure you tune in for that. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.